episode 14 of Strange Bow Radio. I am your host, Tobe Johnson. Today's guest, William Becker, psychic. He has the gift, and he uses it quite often. Some cases from afar, someplace, he works these cases and does some training regarding how to dig into your inner psychic and, in his case, communicate with the non-living. So, in a minute, William Becker. But now, thank you to our sponsor, Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N, Etsy.com. Go to the Etsy shop. There's always new merchandise. It seems like every week there's a new beautiful design. And if you want to get your hands on any of these shaman-inspired drums, rattles, smudge sticks, and now alchemy boxes, go to the third annual Primal People Convention. Tickets available at theghostofrubyridge.com. It's going to be a great... I think there's like over 15 speakers there. I'll be speaking, and that is the last weekend of April in Enumclaw, Washington. Okay, next, William Becker. Fasten your seatbelts. We'll be right back. William Becker of Oregon City is our guest today. And William started a little bit late in life as far as public recognition at his gift. But that doesn't mean it wasn't there all along, because in fact it was and William actively seeks out and looks into what the non-living are doing. So, I had a conversation with William from the comforts of his, his own home and the comforts of mine, which is how you do it sometimes in Podland. And I want to play it for you. Also, William's going to be in touch with us in person down here and that is going to be in the month of August in fact that is August 9th he's going to teach a class here in Cottage Grove Oregon you can find out information at Paranormal Insights with an S at the end Paranormal Insights and order tickets through brownpapertickets.com next here we go William Becker hello thanks for joining me Mr. William Becker hi thank you for having me it's a real honor and a pleasure well, I'm glad you feel that way. Um, you and I really have never met in person, but uh, you and I kind of met uh, through other people that we know, and it started a larger conversation. And you came highly recommended from friends and friends of family as a person to lean on when it comes to our live events. And I gave you a call kind of out of the blue and asked you if you'd like to be a part of the Strange Brow live events as our local Oregon City psychic, and I appreciate you doing that. Well, thank you so much. It's something I'm really looking forward to, and I've I've heard good things about you from people too, and so I'm excited. I really am. Good, good, and we'll talk more about that uh, probably midway through the show here because we do have okay. you coming down for a couple days. But first, I want to talk about William, 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 and uh, where where William came from. And just tell us a little bit about your history and when you started to notice that uh, you had these hidden talents as a as a psychic and experiencer. And, um, and you have some other things here noted on your website that I want to get into. But tell us a little bit about your 
beginnings? Okay. Well, and some people probably would say I came from outer space, but uh, not in a positive way. Um, anyway, bad joke to start out. But um, <laughs> I saw my first ghost when I was eight, and it was another little boy that, oh, probably, geez, 45 or so years later, I found out was quite a famous ghost when I was on Northwest Ghost Tours Ghost Walk and this ghost, this little boy was mentioned and I thought, oh yeah, I know him. I met him. And um, I found out he was a ghost because the guy whose neighborhood we were in playing, a bunch of us um, said, oh no, he can't play with us because I asked. And he said, no, he's dead. He died of typhoid. And so we just the group of us kept playing and didn't ask little Carl to play with us because he wasn't breathing. And he, you know, I saw him peeking out between, um, oh, places at the elevator and uh, the grand staircase in Oregon City. And then he was gone. And it turns out people have been hearing him and seeing him for decades. He died in 1913 in our last typhoid epidemic. Okay, and so was that one of your first experiences? Yeah, I think so. Now, I had weird dreams and um, kind of, you know, seeing in my head weird clowns and a bunch of stuff when I was littler, but I think most of those were dreams. They're so far past that I don't really remember. And then probably late teens, it might have been early or late high school or early college, I started working with people, helping to work with the psychic aspect of it and uh, doing exercises, practicing. Um, there were, were a couple of us that met with a woman who had a small meditation group, actually just the three of us. And we'd fill her house and garden with entities. And uh, I worked with a few people that way and kept developing on my own. Sometime in my mid-20s, I took a little time off because it was not that I was around bad people. It's just some of the environments I worked in, there were a lot of people that were involved and didn't necessarily know what they were doing. And I kept bringing home all kinds of things that I didn't really want to bring home and I didn't know how to control it yet. So took a little break and then came back to it in different ways. And I've been a professional now for over 10 years. Now, William, you, you're teaching psychic classes or at least beginning to entertain um, a career. And uh, this is all before you're the age of 20. So where, where would you do something like this? And what would people young, what would the youth think of uh, the local, you know, teenage boy out there bringing forth spirits? Well, we, you know, I didn't think anything strange about it. Mm -hmm. at, at university, we worked with a woman who said that she had been taught by Chief Joseph's um, grandson or granddaughter, something like that. And we had no reason to doubt that. We were pretty involved in it. Um, 
and like I say, at that point it was late, late teens, and I just didn't think it was unusual. Um, mm-hmm. And I was selective who I talked to about what. I didn't talk to family much, and you know things like that. I just I grew up in a somewhat rural, pretty conservative area, and I learned when I was quite young to keep my mouth shut on too many things that made me look too different. And um, that's all changed now. I don't care what people think, but at the time, mm-hmm. yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't safe to say too much about a lot of things. So were I there, didn't. Were there any family relatives that you assume, but maybe never said that, uh, you know, they had the gift or you uh, looking back, you could see that where it came from? I don't know. Um, I didn't see anything with either of my grandmothers. Uh, one grandfather I never knew, and the other one died when I was quite young. But my mom, maybe, I mean, she we, she and I had a connection. Um, actually, my dad's mother and my mom had a pretty strong connection. Um, and... My sister, I think, has some abilities, although she denies it. She just doesn't work on it enough. Her daughter certainly does. Um, she and I have done some work together, and it's been fascinating. And I think everybody has the abilities. I think it's just a matter of do we allow them to be used? Do we let society or culture or religions tell us we that it's not real or that it's bad so we don't therefore don't use them uh one on my mom's side i know one branch of the family was pretty conservative rig- religiously and i don't think would have approved of this kind of thing mm-hmm. but boy the house sure felt haunted when i was a little kid and would be going to visit my grandma and great grandma so i didn't wow. see anything um, that I remember anyway, but it was always spooky. And it doesn't always have to be spooky. You must have had experiences that seemed almost like just extra sensory. Uh, describe some of those experiences that you had. Yeah, and, and actually one of the things I like about the work I do is that once you can open up and see, because people feel there's something not right Sometimes we can tell that there's something different that we aren't seeing with our own eyes. And therefore, the unknown is what causes the fear for a lot of people, I feel. And once you can start opening up and seeing what is there, then that fear factor can go away. And so it doesn't have to be spooky. And, oh, shoot, one of the times actually that really stands out for me. I went to an old uh, Pioneer Cemetery one night. I had keys. I had permission. I want to emphasize that. And I saw the usual shadowy figures in the cemetery. But coming back, something pulled my pant leg. And I was getting uncomfortable. And the paranormal doesn't usually make me feel that way. Uh, The living make me feel that way. And being out on a piece of the Oregon Trail, basically, with no houses visible um, in the dark, 
I was afraid of who might be out there partying that shouldn't have been. And but I really got uncomfortable from a paranormal sense. And I stopped and I looked and there were hundreds of thousands, if not thousands of Native Americans on one side of this little gravel road that was part of where the Oregon Trail went south down the Willamette Valley, down to California. And they had a story they wanted to tell me, and they didn't want me to linger. They wanted me to keep walking. They wanted me to keep walking um, while I told the story, and um, I did, and they told me. It's in my first book. It talks about how the disease from the settlers came out long before the pioneers did how trading and such had brought brought it out. Tribes would get weakened and therefore fight each other more. And the degradation, degradation of the tribes, then as the settlers came, further degradation of the tribes and the people of the tribes being treated less than human. So then you have inner tribal conflict and murder and theft as such, as well as intertribal. And how important it is that we do not do that to people, that we treat people as human beings and that all human beings are equal and we don't allow ourselves or others to be made less than. And that was a very poignant moment for me. Well, yeah, and you, uh, I mean, you can hear it in your voice that you're very cognizant of other people's feelings and even other non-living people. Would we? Would you ever call spirits non-living? In a way, they kind of are living in your world. They are kind of living in my world, and I don't have a good vocabulary to describe some of these things. Sometimes I refer to them as breathing impaired, uh, not to be disrespectful, but <laughs> right. in a light way. I did <laughs> right. not coin that phrase. Right. I can't remember if Pete or Bayev coined that phrase or uh-huh. or just who did, but it's a good one that I have um, borrowed for my own purposes. <laughs> but they do exist. I mean, our soul continues. And they're not stuck here on this plane. They're not being tormented or anything else, but they do exist. And so... In some form or reality, yes, they are alive, I, I, I believe. Now, William, do you have a, a spirit guide or someone that you know by name that works with you or that you channel through? No. Um, I have a guide at the Akashic Record I work with, and I have a, a group that I meet with occasionally, um, not people that we think of on this plane, but as far as an actual guide working and speaking through me or channeling through me, no. I have had several people see my aura change quite a bit and -hmm. people around me when I'm working, but um, not as a conscious awareness of a guide. So after your 20s, uh, you start thinking of uh, a career, a, a life, a family, a place to live, and uh, William chose uh, the road less traveled here, not only because he probably wanted to, but you were compelled to do it. What was that transition like in 
you know, from your twenties into manhood and what kind of things did you, uh, you know, what kind of choices did you make? That's an interesting question. And I want to be, make sure I'm clear. It was about 10 years ago that I started doing the psychic work professionally. I got my bachelor's degree in history. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years later, several years later, I went back to grad school, got a master's in public administration, um, didn't have a family. And I've done everything from work for the government to develop my own nonprofits, to work for nonprofits, to do consulting work. To um, Though I spent many years in a designer suit and tie um, working, running jewelry stores as a health insurance agent. I mean, I've done all kinds of things that way. And um, so it's it's been basically since my early 50s that I've been doing this professionally. But it's all been part of the journey. And I've been interested in learning all along the way. So it's helped me to develop the skill set that I do have over a, a long period of time, um, even though I wasn't using it professionally. And it's helped build my own confidence. I mean, I've I've gone into this well-seasoned nowadays and uh, mm-hmm. instead of being a newbie. Yeah, did I so, answer the question? Yeah, yeah, you did. Okay. And I, I was going to ask you, you know, if it sounds as though you always were doing this kind of as a side hustle outside of your pinstriped life. Is, is this something that you just uh, did quietly? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'd have some friends that were interested in it, you know, and um, had some of their own abilities and would work together sometimes um you know that kind of thing but yeah it was a it was a quieter thing Mm -hmm. um there weren't many outlets for it did anybody ever find out let's say at one of your jobs that uh this is what you're doing moonlighting and there was a little blowback no 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 i was pretty i was careful who i talked to Mm -hmm. and um i didn't ever when i did talk to somebody they'd already have expressed interests in the field. And you do quite a bit here. I mean, you have readings, classes that you do, mentoring, yes. development, and all sorts of workshops beyond just being a paranormal researcher that goes into some shadowy places, including uh, the Walker Ames house, which I want to ask you about. But as far okay. as your classes that you you have to offer, are these classes usually done locally right out of Oregon City. It sounds as though you have like a virtual contact. You're able to do this with people virtually over the phone or computer. I can. Uh, Mm -hmm. It helps to have a visual contact um, along with it, but I've given readings over the airwaves before on radio shows. Uh, It's a little bit harder, but Mm -hmm. um, I've been quite successful at it. And teaching, I can do on the phone or again it's it's nice to have a visual it it helps establish the contact better with the students or people i'm working with but i take the show on the road i've worked in well i put international on there because i worked with people internationally Mm -hmm. and i've spoken internationally and i've had clients i've met with in different countries but um and i've done some teaching in different countries but i I teach at conferences. I set up my own, what I call haunted hotspots events, 
where we'll go to an interesting location and um, we help people develop the skills and anything from basic psychic development to working with elementals for lack of a better name to I mean all kinds of things that we can do well describe for the audience an elemental I use the word to describe something that's not human kind of like the the beings of myth and lore um, the fairies the leprechauns the whatever you want to call I try not to label these beings unless they give me a name but I've seen some with my own two eyes. I believe in everything because of direct physical experience. I'm I'm pretty skeptical. So if I'm believing in something, it's because I've experienced them in a physical sense. And I have seen tree spirits walk out of trees. I've seen dwarf-type creatures standing in front of me and vanishing or like they're coming through a porthole or a gateway sometimes. I've seen elven-type beings with my own two eyes. I've seen what I can still only think of as a Bigfoot um, with my own two eyes. I keep looking for other alternatives. And I work hard to find alternatives to see, you know, I don't just assume unless I can rule out other kind of options, you know, other kind of tricks of the eye or imagination, things like that. And so these beings are ones you, you know, it's all telepathic, so we can communicate with them. And most of them, I think, mostly reside in a parallel universe, another dimension, whatever you want to call it, but they come in and out, and so we can interact. But that's also part of why we don't find Mm -hmm. physical evidence of them. What's most surprised you as far as elementals, if you could, you know, go through your Rolodex of weirdness and pick one out and said, now that one really caught me off guard. Uh, I think the first time I saw a dwarf-like creature, which was actually at Port Gamble. Um, Yeah, tell us about that. I was in a gravel area. And I was looking actually through my camera. I have a, it was a good Canon DSLR. And was it through that lens? May have been through that lens that I saw him. And then I heard footsteps behind me in the gravel and I turned and nobody was there. And I turned back and the dwarf wasn't there either. But he seemed surprised to see me. And he was taller than anything else around. It was winter, and so there was nothing around him of, in color. There weren't any plants or anything that were bright and colorful. But his clothing was bright and colorful. And he was there, and then he was gone. And that was the first one I'd seen. So I would think that's probably my most surprising and you said something key there that he was a little surprised to see you. Why do you think that was? I think they don't always want to be seen. And I think they're pretty used to not being seen. And so that 
I was able to see him, I think, was kind of a surprise and that one, that a human was actually seeing him and two, that he kind of jumped maybe into the wrong place um, because there was uh, an investigation and it was during a fundraiser for the cemetery up there. So there were people around and um, he may have gotten his timing wrong, <laughs> but um, he didn't hang around long enough for me to ask him. And I was, I was taken aback, not in a bad way, but that was the first experience. And he was solid. It was like looking at a human being. It's just that he wasn't there very long. Now, did he look like a traditional fairy tale version of what we think of when we think of a, a dwarf? Kind of. He looked like an oversized garden gnome with the bright colored clothes, mm-hmm. kind of those sort of features, mm-hmm. um, considerably taller. Um, I would say he was probably about four foot tall, mm-hmm. a little more maybe. Not much more, but maybe a little more. And... Um, I'm, I'm bad at judging mm-hmm. heights and such. Sure. Um, maybe four, four and a half feet tall. And didn't look threatening. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't look evil or mad or anything else. But he was there and then Hyatt tailed it away. <laughs> That's, that is unexpected, especially mm-hmm. in, in Port Gamble. Are there, are there reports of things like that in Port Gamble? Actually... I think there may be more so, and I have taught classes on elementals there, and my students have all, most of them anyway, have seen things with their physical eyes, and psychically we've picked up much, much more, and have been able to have some communications. You have to be very respectful and very quiet, and you know we we ask, mm-hmm. we 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 don't just intrude, we ask. Um, after all, it's their space and their time. I don't, I don't want somebody barging down my door and storming in. Right, which kind of brings up the modern day, you know, spirit movement, which uh, we see in pop culture today, where people use, you know, mainly antagonistic ways to contact the the non living or what are we saying, the non breathing. Um, right. Now, what's your opinion of that approach? People that wish to instigate contact through, you know, uh, causing a, a lot of uh, antagonization. I don't like it. Um, I treat the breathing impaired probably better than I do the living. And I try to be a reasonable human being to the living. Um, I mean, the breathing, if we <laughs> want to put them that way. But... <laughs> Yeah, just trying to keep it all in perspective here. But right. I now there are I've run across entities that aren't necessarily nice. They're not evil. I do not believe in demons, partly because I haven't met one. Um, but I have come across nothing that is pure evil. And I have run across a lot of entities that just aren't very nice. Mm-hmm. And they weren't probably in life. And it, when I'm respectful, they're respectful back. And we, we reach a way of mm-hmm. communicating or if they don't want me around, I leave. It's their spot. Um, oh, I'm loose. I'm running on a tangent here. Ref- remind me of the question, please. 
Uh, well, we were talking about, um, you know, the use of antagonizing a haunted right. space in order to bring out, you know, about an experience, in particular, right. the boys from Ghost Adventures, who really, uh, you know, have made a, a, a mark on the paranormal community by utilizing that approach. And generally, they're not respected very much by anybody outside of pop culture that uh, doesn't have a lot of experience with this. So I wanted to see what you thought of that. Right. And I don't like that approach at all. Mm -hmm. Now, I've told, I've, when entities have gotten in my face, I've stood my ground sometimes and, you know, usually in, oh, really? And just letting them know that they can't intimidate me mm-hmm. is enough. But I don't start out with an antagonism, an antagonism mm-hmm. and I don't continue it that way. Um, using objects to help make somebody feel comfortable and like they can help communicate, that's great. But no, you treat the people there with respect. I don't care who and what they did when they were walking around breathing on this planet. You start out at least in a very respectful way. And I mean, you don't have to put up with a lot of abuse from one, but if you start out respectfully, you don't usually get the abuse. Okay, William, I wanna talk to you about the Walker Ames house and Port Gamble in particular, because sooner or later, it looks like I might be heading up there to do some shows. So tell me what to be prepared for. Everything. (laughs) Okay. Um, I know that's overly general and broad. It's a charming town. It's still a company-owned town. Pope and Talbot own it. Uh, You can actually go in now, though, and buy a house or buy a lot. Uh, they, They restrict what would be built but uh, they are actually selling pieces off. The town is incredibly haunted. And some of the stories are pretty sad. The first time I went there, I thought, oh, wow, I'd love to live there. And after two or three hours of some pretty sad stories and seeing some pretty abusive pieces, um, all this psychically and with the different entities, I thought, no, I don't want to live here. I'd have to I'd have to be off too much because there's just too much that isn't nice. But the more I go, the more I think how nice it actually would be to live there because there's far more positive than negative. Um, And if we can kind of paint the town for the people listening here, you, of course, can go on uh, any source on on the interweb and look up Port Gamble, Washington, but it really is reminiscent of a, of a Stephen King sea town. It has all the qualities of a movie set where it's almost just, I mean, you can see what looks like the entire town within a beautiful little park and it's just a manicured little movie set, but it's uh, captured in time. Exactly. And uh, the town was created to resemble the owner's hometown in New England. And I can't remember the name of the town they were from, but the buildings are very New England. The church is New England. Mm -hmm. The original inhabitants were all from New England and came from that same area. Mm -hmm. It was a lumber town. Um, They don't do milling anymore. In fact, the mills are pulled down. It's also a, super fun cleanup site, I believe. Um, 
because of a hundred and some years of milling. Uh, there's Native American history there, and it's a, you know it's right on Puget Sound. It's on okay. Gamble Bay, and that area you can feel all of the different types of beings that live there, and including stories of Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Um, you can talk to some people there that have heard and seen some pretty interesting things that sound Sasquatchy. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm pretty I'm pretty leery until I have some right. hard proof. But one of my good friends has told me things and that lives there, and he's somebody I trust completely. And let, let me press you on something that you said here, William. When it comes to the statement, you can feel this, you can feel that. As someone who has trouble feeling those kind of things, in fact, I was just outside making some dousing rods, which um, you know is supposedly going to help me see instead of feel things. And how can we start to master that part of us to where we can feel these things that you're talking about? Okay. Um, every first of all, everybody's going to be different, so don't try to copy somebody else. Use what comes to your own mind. Allow yourself to relax into it. And when we're in a paranormal situation, our bodies are often good lightning rods in a sense, or dowsing rods. We get those feelings of the chill or the hair on the back of our neck standing up, or a feeling like we're, there's something here that we're not maybe able to see, but it's something that is watching us or there's another presence here. Now, if you're outside, there's a pretty good indication that there is probably a paranormal being there, unless it's our built-in, you know, watch out, there's a rattlesnake over there type of a, you know, a warning system or something, because I think that's part of what we have. If you're inside or something, you might want to double check and make sure EMF levels aren't too high, there isn't a radon leak or a carbon monoxide leak or something, because those kinds of things can, in some cases, create similar sorts of feelings. But if you have nothing that is electrical, chemical gases that are creating these feelings, then there's a good chance it's a paranormal experience. Mm -hmm. And allow it to come through. Invite it. Invite whoever's there to talk to you and notice how you know something. Some people, because some people, especially at the beginning, don't see or hear, they just know. And they're often right. I've had people know that the little girl mm-hmm. was we- wearing a yellow dress and had brown br- hair and braids. They didn't see it, they knew it. And that while well, others of us were seeing it. And you allow that piece to start coming through and you keep track of how does my imagination work? How do these other things work? How do they feel in my brain? What's different about how I receive these things? You keep a journal or notebook and what what can you verify? Mm -hmm. Okay, I can verify 
that yes, this person actually was here and this is what they were like. And now how did I receive that and how did that reception feel now that I know it was legitimate and not my imagination? We have to, you know, keeping track of these things because none of us, I don't care how good the psychic is, none of us are 100% right. Mm-hmm. And we can't say for sure we're absolutely right unless there's some way of validating something, either through other people's experiences, through history that we didn't know at the time we gave the reading of the location, through photographs where um, people can be identified, um, other people having similar stories, that kind of thing. And it's, allows, it's okay to feel and it's not always something that we're told is okay, especially for men. Women, it's maybe a little easier, but you know we're supposed to be these hard macho dudes that don't <laughs> right, do that kind of thing. There's more consequences uh, for us than than them. I, that's just uh, you know an easy statement to make, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you about the Walker Ames house uh, before we go on to a different subject. What What is it about that house in particular, the history of that house that makes it so active? Well, it's, there was another house right in the area beforehand. Uh, there's been tragedy in the house. There's also been a lot of laughter in the house. The house had the foreman, the boss of the mill, the head of the town, mm-hmm. live there. Um, through a few different mill managers until a bigger and better house was even built. That one either burned down or was torn down years ago. I honestly don't remember which. I'm sure I've heard. And there's been so much life lived in that house over such a long period. And I don't remember the house dates. Mm -hmm. Peter Bay is somebody, he's the Port Gamble expert and just an outstanding human being and a good friend of mine. So um, he's the one that does the Port Gamble Ghost Conference in November. But he would have the history of the house. But there are so many beings in that house that have interacted with people over the years. Um, Toys getting moved, um, Mm -hmm. voices, footsteps, all kinds of things. Mm And it's it's a special house. You start building a rapport with the beings that live in a place when you come back over and over. That's part of what I like. And the town has roped off limits that are strictly off limits. It's it's for the entities, not not those of us going around investigating. There's a back staircase that was a servant staircase. You don't even lift up the curtain. You leave it alone. That's their space to get away from us. There's a closet that doesn't have a door. You can look, but you don't enter. Um, it's their space. And I like that they, the town has done that. Um, they're respecting the beings that live in the house. Wow. So, yeah, that's incredible. And generally... When you go to, let's say, a lighthouse that's supposedly haunted, or a, you know, a Fort Lewis in Vancouver, Washington, they'll you'll see roped-off areas. But I always assume that those areas 
were roped off just due to the fact that it was something so valuable, so treasured, so old. But you're saying possibly some of these places uh, are roped off to basically contain privacy. That's, I've only known a couple of places mm -hmm. that have done it, have been sensitive enough to the entities there to do it for privacy. Mm -hmm. um, so I think usually your um, idea of why they're roped off is correct, but mm -hmm. there are those unique places that uh, do limit access mm -hmm. to some areas just so the entities have their privacy. Ronnie with the Klondike, uh, it's, I'm so sad that it's closed now, but in St. Helens, they had a season because the entities would get tired. They didn't want all of this all year round. And the place was becoming quite famous. So they had a few months that you could go and do events up, up in the rooms. And that was it. And give the ghost a break. <laughs> I love it. I've never yeah. heard that before. And it's St. Helens, too, is most noted for ha having a Halloween town. Don't they set up right. a, a whole entire weekend and basically uh, decorate the entire town Halloween style? Oh, it's the whole month of October. Okay. It's, it's all down in the old town. Right. Yeah. I've done yeah. events there with, with the Halloween town um, and the Klondike. Um, I, I miss the place, but yeah. Well, let me ask you a question here about other psychics because mm -hmm. there's so much stigma around charlatans and hoaxing, and I'm sure you've wandered into it yourself. People that may mean good, uh, but we don't mm -hmm. always know that to be true. If we could maybe even put a number on it, a quote, you know, some kind of figure, how many. <laughs> are actually legitimate and maybe some, I guess some, you know, be weary signs that we could look for as people that may be seeking one out. Okay. Boy, that's a hard question. And I don't want to mention any names in the least in a negative way. I might in a positive way. Um, just because I don't want to be that guy that's on the podcast bashing people and We'll just Being call him. Hateful. We'll call him Joe the Psychic. <laughs> yeah, but um, a lot of people think that they can start doing a little bit of psychic work here and there, and then all of a sudden they're a professional psychic, and they haven't had much training. Mm -hmm. They've only been at it for a year or two or less, and they may be pretty good at what they're picking up and reading. And that doesn't mean they shouldn't do readings for people, but that's not necessarily being a professional psychic. You've got to not only be able to do the readings, you've also got to be able to relate the information. Uh, you've got to be able to do it honestly, but also in a way, in my opinion, that can reach people and be as inoffensive as possible. Because sometimes what you pick up from the beings around somebody can be pretty hard to take. And so we have to, I think it's important to have a sensitivity to the client. Um, if you come across somebody who says they're always right or talks about a, you know, a 99% 
um, rating or accuracy rating run away because we aren't always right. And I don't think anybody has a 99% accuracy rating. And by what standard and what gauge and what judgment? Um, be aware of too many trappings. I mean, with me, it's what you see is what you get. I don't have a shtick. I don't have anything unusual other than what I just do normally. I I wear a derby hat, but that's my winter hat. <laughs> Sometimes I'm in period clothes because that's what I've done with historic reenactment, and it can be a good way to help you know, if you're dealing with entities from the 1800s, sometimes dressing in 1860 clothes makes them feel more comfortable with you. But I don't do that to give readings to mm-hmm. look different or do something differently. So people that come up with a character and basically to present to a crowd. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. And my, right. And, you know, I'm not going to say all of them aren't good at what they do, mm-hmm. but if you're good at what you do, why do you have to have that other character? Uh, one of the people I have a lot of respect for is Ankasha Amenti. Uh, she's, I've seen her, I've worked with her. Um, we've given each other readings and I've seen her gallery readings and she is, she's been working on this for decades and is a real deal. Mm-hmm. Pete Orbea is one of the best that I've had too, as far as somebody I would send people to who charges. There are a lot of other people out there I know who don't charge that I would think, yeah, definitely go and if you meet them and such, see what they feel, see what they think. But they're not professional mediums. And so I could say that, you know, mm-hmm. um, they don't put themselves out there as professional. There are other people out there that in a one-on-one situation, I would say stay away from. They're crazy. Is there any, they... any any certification, William, uh, for this at all? Is there a foundation or society that it recognizes and gives a stamp of approval, like say with Reiki or people that are uh, you know suffering from shaman sickness and want to investigate the their inner shaman or yoga masters is there a a medium or psychic registry no now there have been some institutes that have done some research and kasha has done a lot of work with one of those and i don't remember the name of it Mm -hmm. um lloyd auerbach i think was part of some of that research and i haven't met him yet but i've heard only good things about him Mm -hmm. um so there have been some um organizations that have done some certifying of people that they've worked with Mm -hmm. through testing and such, but it isn't a big nationwide or worldwide testing organization. It's something that's been worked with a lot. Spiritualism especially started developing about the Civil War. So many people were dying. And during Victorian England, yeah, during Victorian England as well, Um, the Industrial Revolution was hard on people, people dying. And so people were looking for confirmation of life after death, but also 
to contact loved ones. And a lot of the charlatans and tricks started developing at that time. That doesn't mean that people hadn't always been psychic. They had been, but it was portrayed differently, I think. And um, it didn't become the big business until that time, as far as my understanding of the history goes. And if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is, as far as mm-hmm. a psychic or anybody goes. I mean, that, that old adage has a lot of truth to it. William, you have a YouTube channel as well. What what can people find on your YouTube channel? And is it listed under Paranormal Insights? Oh, Jesus. Paranormal Insights or William Becker? Mm-hmm. Try if both. To, yeah, and, if you go to paranormalinsights.net, you'll find the YouTube link. And they can exactly. That. Right. Yeah. Okay. And um, a lot of what's on there are cable access TV shows that I did. Mm -hmm. I had some wonderful volunteers that would film and edit and put the shows together for me. And I'd like to do that again, but the people I was working with no longer have the time and, um, you know, it's all volunteer, but it's one of the things I want to get going again is a regular program once or twice a month that I can put out there with not just what I do, but interviews and a variety of things. It's a lot of fun. And right. I think ever, there are things on there that people would be interested in. Yeah. Have you ever thought of vlogging a daily message or um, your daily life uh, so people can get an in-depth view of you? I know that's very popular these days to keep people in constant feed of your life. <laughs> oh, I don't see my life as being interesting enough to do that. Um, now, I don't know if that's necessarily true because I've seen some of your Facebook posts in particular at the Gold Rush Coffee House. Is that the uh, local coffee clutch that you go oh, to? Oh, Coffee Rush. Yeah, Coffee, coffee Rush. Rush. Coffee Rush. Uh-huh. If people don't know what I'm talking about, if you go to William Becker's Facebook page, there's a, a place where William goes and grabs a cup of Joe and the coffee rush is one of them. And they, uh, they seem to have a ghost. So just you having a cup of coffee inspires activity. <laughs> oh, they have lots of ghosts in that place. That's part of why I love it. And yeah. the staff is great. The coffee is good. Um, and I get to sit there and have human contact and look out the big windows and stuff. And, you mm-hmm. know, when you, when you work from your own house and, and such it's I need to get out and have human contact or I just kind of curl up and become a hermit and that's not <laughs> productive. Um, but yeah, I'd definitely go check that out. And, you know, it's going back to some of the psychics, as far as some of the famous ones go, I haven't met them. I haven't worked with them. You hear mm-hmm. stories, but just remember if it's on television Unless it's on public broadcasting, it has one purpose, and that's to make money for the investors and the producers. And to begin with, not even the crew that much or the performers. And honesty and truth may be there, but may not be there, or may be there in certain degrees. Um, There are a couple people I have met. Um, Barry Fitzgerald has become a pretty good friend 
I think very highly of him and I don't think he's faked mm-hmm. or done anything. Mm-hmm. His, his um, YouTube programs and stuff especially are great. But even GHI, Ghost Hunters International, I liked because they didn't always get, they didn't always get ghosts. They would often not be conclusive or say, no, it's not haunted. And that helped me to say, okay, this show has some little bit more credibility um, simply because they're not always doing the, mm-hmm. you know, the big hoax, whatever. And the producers are the ones that create the end product. It has nothing to do with the the investigators or the stars or the talent, you know. It's what do the people running the editing machine mm-hmm. do and what's the final pro- product put out. But you, there are a lot of shows that use psychics and mm-hmm. I've heard good and bad. I do know that um, one of the psychic shows that went to the Sumter B&B did not do it justice um, and made it to be scary when it isn't. Now, um, is, is, been, Sum, is Sumter where all the gold mines are? Right. And that's okay. where the TV show Ghost Mine came from. Gotcha. Or was gotcha. set up in the hills above there. Now, I do and want to tell being... you that, that real quick, this may be interesting to you, uh, that uh-huh. uh, Dick and Duck Secourt, um, who are on the show, I think they called him Greybeard. Um, uh-huh. They are from Cottage Grove, and they have the last active mine on top of Bohemia Ridge. So they won't be too far away from uh, where you're speaking when you come down here in August. Oh, wonderful. It'd be mm-hmm. great if they're around to meet them. Right. Jay from the show, Jay Verberg, is a good friend of mine. Um, and, you know, just a great guy. He was the greenhorn, one of the greenhorns. Right, with um, a distinctive mustache. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And he's gotten very interested in the paranormal world um, since then and is incredibly talented at it. Um, and just a good guy and a lot of fun and you know somebody who's got a a good heart and a good mind and a lot of integrity but yeah you know it's anything that's a for-profit tv show Mm -hmm. take it with a few grains of salt the sumter b&b is definitely haunted i've done classes there i've had experiences there including seeing faces through second floor windows um but the the one show I'm thinking of, and again, I just it's easier not to name names. Mm-hmm. You know, they they made it out to be all this big scary stuff, and it was that's just a load of rubbish. Mm-hmm. It isn't. And, well, um, what's not a load of rubbish is William Becker coming down here to Strange Brow to do a psychic class at the Kalipuya Bookstore. And that's going to be coming up in the second Friday of August here. It'll be August 9th. And you can go to strangebrow.com, go into our ticketed events, and there you'll see a class. It'll show William Becker in his period dress with his beautiful top hat, which I love. And uh, you can book. I think we have a few spots still available. You can check that out also at paranormalinsights.net. And the next day, on August 10th, William will be speaking 
on stage for the general public. Uh, the ticketed class is limited to 20, but the general event on the 10th of August will be uh, a free admission to where you can actually come in and maybe hear about um, the night's previous activities. It turns out that the Axe and Fiddle uh, may in fact um, be haunted and we have a couple psychics from Cresswell, Oregon that have verified that through some EVP work that they've done inside the bar, inside the bookstore. So maybe we'll have some guests while we're there. Um, you have some stuff coming up too before then, William. Tell people what kind of events you have coming up before August. Okay, thank you. Um, I've got on the 20th of this month at Coffee Rush in Oregon City, I'll be doing some some um, solstice um, stories, equinox stories, mm -hmm. a little bit talking about it, and then doing a gallery reading. And it's a free donation-based during about the last hour of business at night. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we start about 6.30 with some of the stories and end at 8 when they close, 7 to 8, probably the gallery reading part. I've will be speaking at the Oregon Ghost Conference this year at the end of March. I do have a monthly class in Oregon City at the Coffee Rush store on 9th and Main. Uh, this coming Sunday is my next one. The 9th of and Main, I'm, is that the 9th of Main in Oregon City, you said? Yes, 9th okay. Street and Main Street. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. Downtown, yeah. And let's see, April 5th and 6th, Oh, it's not as much paranormal as some of the ghost stories and history and a tour of the second or third oldest house in the state. It's a historic home I'm on I'm on the board of the Friends Group for in Oregon City, the Ermertinger House. And that's a donation based um event as well. Um we're not gonna charge admission. People can pay what they like and maybe join the friends group, but at least find out about the house. And uh, it's got some really quite lovely ghosts in it. And, oh, I've got to get a few more things scheduled and on the books. Well, you have a, a book here. It looks like you have a book written, co-written by W, uh, no, it's actually Devin Conray Travis. Is that how you pronounce it? You Conway Groves. Conway Groves. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. He's a photographer in that book. I did the writing. He's a professional photographer. And actually, Sumter is in... No, Sumter we were going to put in another book. It's not in that one. But we hit haunted places in several places, including the Walker Ames is in that book. Astoria, Fort St Battery Russell at Fort Stevens, um, the Pioneer Cemetery... Uh, there's several places in that in that book, and that's on my website and through Amazon. And then I've got a new a newer book out that's just me, um, also on the website or through Amazon. That um, is on the trip I took to Russia in 2016. Okay, and these are beautiful black and white photos on the cover of the uh, Paranormal Insights visual photograph book here, historical photographs of Oregon's haunted spots. Is the whole book done black and white? 
No, some of it's color, some of it's black and white. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of black and white. It seems to just kind of cut through all the BS and show what you need to show. And sometimes it's just more effective to do exactly. that. Yeah. And the other book, the one I did, including the photos in the second book, um, that's mostly color, but there are some black and white photos in that as well. And if people want to get in touch with you, can they just go to paranormalinsights.net and book an appointment? Yeah, um, my email address is there. Mm -hmm. um, if you use the phone number listed, be patient, um, because mostly what I get on that number are calls for somebody who used to own that number a long time ago. <laughs> so I haven't, I've been very lax about checking um, voicemail and stuff, but the emails I'm on top of pretty quickly. Okay. And I'm also on Messenger through Facebook. Okay. And again, uh, William will be speaking at the Kalapuya Bookstore, and tickets are limited seatings for his classes. You can get those tickets through strangebrow.com under the ticket sales icon, and you can go to paranormalinsights.net and book them directly through brown paper tickets. So I hope you do that. Hey, William, thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, Toby, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Great. All right. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Again, that was psychic William Becker of Oregon City. And again, go check out his website, Paranormal Insights. Now, he teaches classes up in Portland, Oregon City, all around the Multnomah County area. If you're in and around the Portland metro area or on the outer skirts, check out Paranormal Insights and see if you can get into one of his local classes or check out some of the work he's done, the cases he's worked, including, I believe, the Gold Rush coffee stand, if I'm not mistaken, Haunted Coffee. You can also come see him with us, with our live broadcast at the Kalapuya Bookstore. Go to Paranormal Insights. Paranormal Insights with an S. Get a ticket through Brown Paper Tickets. Also, I wanted to announce that if you go to Facebook and type in three words, Owl Moon Lab, like an owl, like the moon, lab instead of laboratory. Owl Moon Lab, there's a Facebook page that's being updated pretty regularly on the Owl Moon property. And if you've listened to episode one, then you know about the Owl Moon property and everything to do with it. Lots of audio, video, and some very interesting stuff, including fingerprints that were captured. We even got some really good handprints off of this property. And all I'll say is this is volume one of a larger story. We'll get back to that at a later date. And, well, we'll get back to that at a later date. Thank you for joining us at strangebrowradio.com. Go check out the Instagram, Facebook, and if you want to sign up for some fun, go to strangebrow.com. Or if you have any guest ideas, want to be a guest, or have any topics that you want me to cover, go to strangebrowradio at gmail.com and shoot me a message. That's it. Have a good night, and we'll see you in the trees.